We've talked a lot about this throughout our series in Kings, but the fact is that fear of missing out is a powerful motivator in our daily lives. You know, as we all navigate the cultures in which we live, we live in a big culture, a macro culture in the United States. We have micro cultures where we have, you know, the culture of New Jersey or the culture of your workplace or your school or your town or whatever, your family even. All of those cultures have a gravitational pull. And so what happens is as other people live their lives, they influence us and we get kind of attracted to what they're experiencing or what they have. And some of us, even those of us who are independent, like we don't want to be like them. Well, we're kind of attracted to that independent mindset that others might have. So we see in a culture that we'll, we'll be experiencing this temptation to follow along with the crowd. And again, we've covered that quite a bit here as we've gone through Kings. Here's the important observation this morning as we get into chapter 18 of 2 Kings. We just have to remember that inevitably, no matter what, if we have put our faith in Jesus, that will bring us into conflict with that gravitational pull of our culture. It's kind of like in Star Wars, Star Wars Episode 4, you know, when the, when the tractor beam grabs hold of the Millennium Falcon and they're pulling them into the Death Star and they're trying to go the other way. If you're not familiar with the image, it's worth, you know, it's worth a watch. But, uh, you know, it's like the, 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 the pull, the tractor beam, the gravitational pull, it's pulling you one way. But the, the call of faith, the call of Jesus pulls you another way. And you have to make a decision in that daily moment. You have to decide, wait a minute, which is going to win out? So you might ask this question. Uh, you might ask the question this morning, which of those gravitational forces are pulling on you? Which are the, the forces in our culture, the people that are influential in your life? Or which idols of our culture are really attractive to you, are really compelling to you? Which idols in our culture are hard to resist for you? We've seen a lot of failure in First and Second Kings, but this morning... We finally get to one who does it right. And I think there is incredible encouragement here for us, a breath of fresh air as we finally find a king who is like David. Now, why are we looking for a king like David? Just a quick reminder. We go back in the Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 7, when David, uh, you know, there's anticipation of of this coming uh, descendant of David, and God promises David that one of his descendants will reign forever. And so we sometimes call that the Davidic covenant, the covenant, the promise that God made to David. But ever since 2 Samuel 7, we've been kind of waiting for that, that one to come, the son of David to come, who will be the one to reign forever and kind of make wrongs right and restore Israel to glory and solve problems and pay your taxes for you and all the rest, right? I mean, we're looking for that one who's going to come. And then we get to kings and we get failure after failure after failure. And even the good kings aren't quite good enough. And so... We find the standard repeated in Kings that, oh, they weren't like their father David. They did what was right, but not like their father David, and so on and so forth. And finally, this morning, we come to Hezekiah, who gets, at least here in the first 12 verses of chapter 18, a resoundingly positive evaluation. Finally, one gets it right. Let's look at these verses and see what God has for us here. Again, in verse 1, we have the third year of Israel's king, Hosea, son of Elah, that's in the northern kingdom. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, became king of Judah. So you got to know that Hezekiah was the king over the southern kingdom when the northern kingdom was taken into exile, or right after, actually. So he was around when the northern kingdom went, went into exile to Assyria. Verse 2, he was 25 years old when he became king. 
He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Avi or Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. Verse 3 is where we get the important evaluation. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David has done. Even in Kings, there's an acknowledgement that David wasn't perfect. But again, because of 2 Samuel 7, we're looking for the greater son of David. And here with Hezekiah, we find this uh, positive evaluation. Hezekiah finally walked in ways that were similar to his ancestor David. There was finally a David-like king on the throne. And notably, he did what was right. Now watch verse 4. This is where we get the the description of how he did what was right. He removed the high places, shattered the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses made, for until then the Israelites were burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Now let's just pause there. These, actually, this verse, verse 4, is unpacked over the course of three chapters in Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 29 to 31, you get like a lengthy description of what we call Hezekiah's reforms. Here we get the short version, but even the short version is enough to, to kind of help us chew on a little bit and see what he did. Remember that we talked about in Kings the nag 